The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Lord Christ. morning. Let's pray together. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And so I pray, give us eyes to see it this morning. Give us ears to hear it. Give us a heart to follow. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're, con- we're continuing our summer series throughout the book of Proverbs on the topic of wisdom, but we're going to begin to specifically look at ways that wisdom is applied to everyday life. And if you recall, we we borrowed a definition of wisdom from Old Testament theologian Gerhard von Rad, uh, and he said wisdom is competency with regard to the realities of life, which which means wisdom is not just something that we come to know, it's something that we come to live. And so that's really important. It brings us back to reality as God intended it to be, and it speaks into really specific things like our friendships and what a true and good friend actually is, like our money. And what a responsibility and a privilege that is and what we are to do with it and how we are to think about it. Like our work, that we should work hard, not slothfully, but we also should not work too much. And so we hope this summer to show you how God's wisdom gets applied into everyday realities of life. And so this morning we begin with the arena. You could argue, I think Proverbs spends the most time talking about It's the application of wisdom as it pertains to our speech, to our tongues, to our words. Now, I I can't normally say this with this much confidence, but I am absolutely positive this applies to every single person in this room. Preachers generally speak about something, and then it may specifically or particularly apply to individual lives and situations. But the Apostle James says, no man or woman can tame the tongue. No one. And so I have the particular privilege and responsibility this morning to speaking to something that is a problem for all of us. And sadly, I know this on a personal level. In just the last two weeks, I had to apologize to my wife, Allison. She's not here today, so it's going to be a little bit easier for me to do confession with you. (laughs) I spoke too harshly to her while we were driving in the car with our kids, and I knew it because I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw one of my children put their fingers in their ears and close their eyes. Ouch. 
And in just the last two weeks, I had to apologize. To my son, Davis. It wasn't for words that I spoke to him, but it was how I said them. My volume got so high that it frightened him, visibly frightened him. And it takes a lot to scare my son. His favorite holiday is Halloween. And in just the last two weeks, I also had to apologize to my daughter, Bryn. For the fifth time, she was mothering her younger brother. And in tiredness and frustration, I didn't say it too loudly, and I didn't use the wrong words, but I said it with such a direct tone that it crushed her spirit. And she left the room in tears. I tell you it because I I know personally the power of words. I wonder, can you relate? I bet you can. James says, I know you can. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so we need to take this very seriously. And it may feel serious this morning, and that's probably how it should be. Scripture holistically, but Proverbs very specifically, speaks with great measure to the problem of the, the, problem of the tongue and offers words of warning to us to help us discern what is wise and what is foolish speech. So this morning, I hope for us to be able to discern that as well. First, we're going to speak to the origin of words. Second, to the warning of words. And third, to the redemption of words. So first, the origin of words. Uh, There's a difference between asking where do words come from and where do my words come from? Let's try to answer both those questions. To answer the first question, we have to go to the first page of Scripture, to the beginning, at the genesis of it all. When nothing was, and all of a sudden, everything good came to be. And there we're reminded, God was the first to speak. It wasn't man, it was God. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God spoke first, which means words originate with him and belong to him. And so this means we talk because God talks. This is the fundamental beginning for all human speech, but especially for Christian speech. God spoke first, and by his words, he showed us what words were intended to be and what words were intended to be. To do. And what did they do? They created. The power of the spoken word. It created order out of chaos, not chaos into order. The spoken word created light into darkness. It didn't put darkness into light. The spoken word brought life out of nothingness. Instead of speaking nothingness into someone's life. Which means, in essence, words were intended to be life-giving gifts. That's what they were intended to be. That's what our tongues were intended to produce. And that means that our words are actually more of a responsibility than they are a right. 
So as Christians, we need to be as concerned with the consequences of our words as we are the freedom with which we get to share them. God intended our words to create life outside of us, to be life-giving gifts. But I wonder, is this your common experience with words? I'd venture to say it's not. And that's because to the second question, our words tend to originate elsewhere. Our words originate not from God. They originate from our own hearts. That's what Jesus was starting to explain. Our truest self comes out of our mouths because our words grow deep within us. In Matthew 12, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So friends, if your words are not life-giving gifts, it is symptomatically a tongue problem, but it is fundamentally a problem with your heart. It's deeper. And therefore, if you want to aim at any lasting change with your words, you've got to change the target. You don't have a tongue problem. You have a heart problem. Our word issues are heart issues, period. So just let me pause for a second. I'm curious, what has your heart been saying lately? If I could follow you around just for a day and review your email, your text messages, your social media posts, if I could be a fly on the wall and hear your conversations that you have at work or the things you say in your car, pause there for effect. I saw a bunch of grins. Or maybe like me in the beginning of this sermon, the words you're saying under your own roof. What's your heart saying? For years, I've tried to fix my tongue problem and it's slowly been a work in progress. And it's because I was aiming at my tongue and not my heart. I want to give just a couple quick examples of what I mean by that. If you're going to do true heart work. Perhaps it's your anger and your rage showing itself in eruptive language or cursing or yelling. Perhaps it's your need for approval that shows in patterns of exaggeration, telling half-truths about yourself because you're, you're trying to paint a picture of yourself that's not actually your true self for someone else to adore, to appreciate, to applaud. Perhaps it's your long-term insecurity that leads you to slander when you see someone else has the life that you've always believed was supposed to be yours. And your words become a punishment to them for having what you never have. I could go on and on. I won't. The bottom line is that word issues are heart issues. So if this morning you have a tongue problem, you have a heart problem, And that's why Proverbs in its wisdom warns us to keep watch over our hearts with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of our lives. And so let's take a few minutes this morning and let's let's examine our speech. Let's look at our tongues. And as a result, we'll actually be in touch with our hearts. We'll be brought back to reality of what's true about our lives. And we'll distinguish with the help of the warnings of Proverbs whether we're using foolish or wise words. 
If you read through Proverbs, you can see Proverbs 10 is when Solomon's wisdom starts. And it's littered with Proverbs about the tongue. There's numerous word warnings throughout Proverbs, but the best way to summarize them, in my opinion, is typically to talk about the prevalence of words and the power of words. And so I've just selected three summary statements to focus our time this morning. Okay, test yourself. First, what we see in Proverbs is that the fool speaks before he listens, while the wise listens before he speaks. Proverbs 10.8 says, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And in verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. Okay, so the fool is represented as one who has a disordered desire to hear their own voice. And so the speech is described as babbling. That's actually the warning, that it's just, it's babbling. Think, think of a toddler. When the itty-bitties first start to use their words, it's incessant, and it makes absolutely no sense. And we like to call it really cute. Um, when my daughter, Bryn, was just seven or eight months old, um, Allison and I were convinced that we heard her use her first word. And of course, being our firstborn, we were convinced she was far ahead of every other child in the world. She would say, ma, ma, ma. We said, look, she's saying mom. We later came to realize she was actually saying more, and mom was the best venue through which to get more of whatever it was that she wanted. It was just babbling. It wasn't anything that actually made any sense. Why did toddlers babble so much? They're infatuated with their voice. Fools never mature out of that face. They live their lives with their mouths wide open. Uh, Robert Frost, who's maybe the most decorated American poet, said this, um, half the world is composed of people who have something to say and can't, and the other half who have nothing to say and they keep on saying it. I wonder for you this morning, are you too quick to speak and too slow to listen? The wise man is quick to listen and slow to speak. Secondly, the fool starts arguments and gets involved in arguments that are not even their own, while the wise is slow to enter strife or conflict. Okay, Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Proverbs 23 says, It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Now, sometimes arguments are necessary, Okay, but there, there's a big difference between instigation and intervention. Instigation, arguing for the sake of arguing, is intended to pick a fight. Intervention, that, that's wise restraint with an argument, and its intention is to make peace. I know that you know the difference. Okay, a fool is so quick to start fights in the name of peace, but never achieves it while the wise restrains arguments and uses them well. Now, I, I see this kind of foolishness time and time again in marriages. There is incessant arguing in the name of peace, but it's not about making peace. It's about gaining control. 
And what tends to happen is one person gets worn out by the arguing while the other person gets incited into more arguments. And the person who gets tired of arguing, what happens? They become silent and they withdraw and they retreat. What happens to the foolish spouse? They're incited to argue more. And I've sat down many times, and I have been that foolish spouse before. And I've said, is your arguing really going to get you what you say you want in your marriage? And the obvious answer is no, but the fool can't stop instigating. Just won't stop. Kind of like a shaken can of soda. Kids, have you ever shaken a can of soda and then opened the top? If you're going to do that today, do it outside. Right? The shaken can of soda, it is so disturbed on the inside that as soon as it opens its mouth, it spews. That's the picture of the fool. So I wonder if this is characteristic of your tongue. Are you an instigator? Are you overly argumentative? Do you even enter into arguments that are not your own? Do you have a tendency to make something out of nothing? Beware, says the wisdom of Proverbs. Okay, and then third and finally, the the fool slanders and criticizes others while the wise guards his tongue from speaking negatively of someone else. Proverbs 10, 18, whoever conceals hatred has lying lips and he who spreads bad reports is a fool. Proverbs eleven twelve: whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Okay, criticism via slander is an attempt at reputation decay. That's really the goal that's in mind. There is a proper time and a proper place for helpful, constructive, critical feedback. But the fool does not choose the proper time, which is in private, nor do they choose the proper place, which is bringing it up with the person, not to someone else. They don't exercise restraint with their criticism. It becomes slander. It's spoken and spread to everyone else except even the person him or herself. They have no such care with criticism. And I see this in the church sometimes, and you know what? It's under the guise of care and concern. Can I give you a couple of examples? Uh, We should really remember to keep so-and-so in our prayers because she's dealing with her issue again. God bless her. It's so destructive. Since when did intercession become a means of slandering someone? Or maybe this, pastor, I'm really concerned about so-and-so, that Pastor Josh. Did you hear what happened? I I think it's important you know the truth. It is important that I know the truth, but it's important that that truth is spoken to pastor so-and-so. It's dangerous. It's destructive. Even a truthful word spoken slanderously can greatly injure a life. There's a great danger for the person who doesn't consider the consequences of their words, especially when they're speaking of someone else. And Proverbs 10 illuminates this above all the others. In verse 11, the fool's tongue intends to take life, not give it. In 14, it brings ruin near to self and others. 
In verse 18, it conceals and unleashes anger and hatred. In verse 21, it takes the lives of others and even ends up costing its own life. James 3 echoes this, doesn't it? It's a resume of awfulness. It's a destructive power. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. It's a spark that starts a forest fire with just a word. All of life can be redone or all of someone's life can be totally undone. We need to heed this warning and not be foolish. Sinclair Ferguson gave a sermon about 10 years ago entitled The Tongue, the Bridle, and the Blessing. And this is what he said. The misuse of the tongue can render all other graces in life impotent. One single wrong word about another and all the words we have ever spoken crumble into so much hypocrisy in the eyes and ears of those who listen to us. Listen to this. You can destroy someone's reputation and life more easily with a word than you can destroy their life with a sword. It's true, isn't it? So I wonder, is this characteristic of your tongue, are you overly critical, not to someone, but about someone with your tongue? Is there someone whose reputation you have destroyed and you need to seek forgiveness? Wise words are restrained, peacemaking and life-giving. Foolish words are unrestrained, they're argumentative, and they're destructive. So I'm curious, what has your heart been saying lately? Where do we go from here? Back to confession? Need to redo that all over again? It feels that way, doesn't it? Do we join with the prophet Isaiah, who himself said, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. We go to the table. It's at the table that we see embodied and exemplified the redemptive word. Where we realize that the word of God did not just create order out of chaos and light out of darkness and life out of nothingness. But in the word made flesh, he recreates the same thing in us today. The hope for our tongues is the table. Him who is represented there. And so we move from Genesis 1 to Jesus because the original word of God that did these things is the same living word of God who does these things today. He is the word of God in the flesh. John 1, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Our words are redeemed through the word of God. He is the recreative power through whom our hearts are changed and our tongues begin to be tamed. He's the embodiment of what words were in, originally intended to be. Do you get that? He is the embodiment of what words were intended to be. He's life-giving gift. Our words are echoes of the grace that he's shown us. Wise words that produce order and light and life. And he also exemplified that for us too, didn't he? 
didn't he? Just consider the miracles as we close. Just some of them. The raging wind and waves and sea, and with just a spoken word, he creates order out of chaos. A man possessed by the darkness of demons for decades, and with just a spoken word, he's released, he's set free. There's light in darkness. A man who spent his whole life lame in a state of nothingness, and he can't walk, and Jesus speaks the words, rise and walk, and he's healed. Life into nothingness. As God intended words to be, so Jesus is for us. And let me tell you, friends, his target is your heart. You will never have a redeemed tongue until you have a redeemed heart. So what do you do? You aim your words at him. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He and he alone is the redemptive power for our words. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Redeem our hearts and with it our words that we might live wisely and offer life-giving gifts to others. We ask in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.